Well, it's good to see you, family. My name is Eddie. I am the lead pastor here, and it's a pleasure to be able to be with you if you're online. Thank you for joining us online and spending some time with us. In the auditorium, there are a number of different little people. Thank you for joining us, little people. It's good to see you guys. Parents, if the little people make noise, please don't worry. It's not going to bother me. So I just want everyone to just take a deep breath and relax. It's going to be awesome. And I'm so happy to see some babies and small people. Uh, If you're online and you're a little person, or maybe you're not so little, you're in elementary school, you're not a baby anymore, uh, or a teenager, or or a young adult living in your parents' house, it's good to see you as well. Um, Before we get into the Word, I have a couple announcements. First of all, thank you to everyone. Thank you online. I know that a lot of people online. Thank you everyone who participated in our Thanksgiving food drive. We provided, we've provided 93 bags for families in the DHS um, family. And if you didn't know, we were collecting Thanksgiving bags uh, with, with meals uh, that would allow those in need to have a Thanksgiving. And so we were able to do that. So thank you to those who took part. Thank you to the small groups who gathered together to do so. Uh, I know that, that Pastor Jermaine's small group did an amazing job. And I know my small group, we had a number of different people who were, who were participating. So thank you to everyone uh, who did that. Secondly, it is, don't, don't get upset. I know Thanksgiving hasn't happened, but I have to talk to you about Christmas. <laughs> I'm not asking you to put your tree up yet. But we are preparing for Advent This is a strange year, and so why not have Advent begin in November? And that's, Advent is four weeks, and and four weeks before Christmas, and that puts us at the first uh, Sunday of Advent being the 29th of November. Hooray! So uh, you will have one day to get your tree up before Christmas has started, Um, but, but what that means, all joking aside, is that we have have really labored to, to provide something to you that I think that will be encouraging and, and helpful. And normally, you know, we'd be able to do some, some things together as a family here in person, but we didn't want to miss out on the opportunity to celebrate Advent together as a church body. And so the, we've created two packages for you, one of which is for our kids. So kids, there, there's a package for you. Uh, if, you're, if you're here today, you can pick it up. It is a kid's Advent kit. It comes with an Advent calendar and a number of different things that you can do. It comes with a, a wreath activity. So parents, you're welcome and I'm sorry, depending on your, your interest in, in doing these types of things. But, but I'm hoping that it'll be a moment for you guys to get together, to celebrate as a family. Uh, there's some other stuff in there. I think there might even be some C-A-N-D-Y. Um, it'll be awesome. And, and I hope that you'll take part of that. So if you're in person here and, and you want to pick one of those up for your kids, please feel free to do so. If you're online and you want to get one, we will actually send one to you. If you could just text um, GCC Advent to 474747. It's not 171717. It looks like that, but it's four, it looks better up there. Um, it's 474747. Text GCC Advent. Now, for our adults or maybe our, our older children, we have put together an Advent devotional. And so we have another Advent calendar with a, a, a devotion for every day, well, the first 25 days. So it won't start until January 1. Um, but 25 days for you to spend some time as a family or as an ind- individual thinking about 
Christ and his coming. And we, we wrote this in-house and we put it together thanks to Debbie uh, Nagel and, and Crystal and everyone else who, who helped out administratively. Pastor Jermaine and I and Debbie wrote a number of things. It's, it's, we, it's homegrown. It's for you. So please take one home for yourself. Uh, take two home if you need to. Um, we have, they're, they're, again, they're here. And if you're online or, or you find out about this later, you can also text Bible Journey to 474747 because this is going to be a Christmas Bible journey through a number of texts that talk about Jesus. So we're excited. It's not even Thanksgiving and we're already like looking forward to Christmas. It's going to be great. I'm excited for it. I'm thankful for it. Uh, and I hope that you are as well. Well, thank you for for bearing with us as we have continued through the last few weeks to really spend some time thinking about what it looks like to to be kingdom citizens in, in a very polarized culture. What it looks like for us to be, as I said, kingdom citizens in a polarized culture. Two weeks ago, I taught about Jesus as the king. He, he's the Messiah. He's the king. He's the king of kings, lord of lords. He reigns supreme, higher than any president that we might have, higher than any dictator, higher than any military leader. He is far and above the greatest of the greatest. And he was before his life, death, and resurrection on the cross, and it was confirmed in his life, death, and resurrection on the cross. Well, resurrection after the cross. We talked about that. Last week, we looked at the kingdom of God itself, which, which we, we are transferred into. Paul tells us that, he tells us in Colossians, that we are transferred from the the kingdom of darkness or the domain of darkness, the rule of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And this idea that, that whether you're an American or you're from the UK or you're from South Korea or somewhere else, we still have a superseding overarching membership into the kingdom of God if we have faith in Jesus Christ. And that, that membership, that, that citizenship requires our allegiance for us to live and and be and breathe as Christians first and foremost. Today we're going to be reminded that the kingdom is here for those who believe. The kingdom is not far off. The kingdom is not some sort of uh, abstract idea that lives in the mental clouds of our brains. The kingdom is here. Jesus ushered it in and he invites us to take part. So if you will stand with me, if you're online, you can stand. It'd be great. You don't have to. I won't know either way. But we stand as a way of reverencing the Word of God and engaging our, our senses as we hear and, and listen to its Word. Um, so we're going to be reading out of Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we ask that you would give us a vision of Christ. Give us, a, a, in, through your word, that we would see Jesus as the king who's ushering in the kingdom, who's establishing your kingdom on earth. God, I pray that we would be stirred to to respond by repenting and believing in this good news about the kingdom of God, 
This good news about freedom from sin, forgiveness of sins, righteousness available to us, and new life. God, I pray that your word would speak to us and that we would embrace your kingdom even as we embrace you as king. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you ever want to read something quick and punchy as it relates to the Bible, read the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark was, was written toward, I think, Roman believers, and it, and it was written very quickly. Or I don't know how quickly it was written, but it has a quick pace about it. Immediately is, is a word that comes up often in the book of Mark. And, and I think it's, what, maybe 10 or 12 chapters? It's really short. No, 15. Here we go. We'll find out exactly. 16, 16 chapters. But it's really short as, as compared to the other gospel messages. And he just, he's constantly just making things happen quickly. I just commend it to you. Um, here in, in the book of Mark, we see that, that Jesus is coming on the scene and, and some things have happened that have prepared the way for his coming. And if you were to read Matthew or Luke, you'd get more drawn out, detailed uh, accounts of what's going on, but what we see is that that John the Baptist, who was a cousin of Jesus, is has been doing ministry and he's really been preparing the way. and And it was promised in in Isaiah and and Micah that that there would be one who would do this. He says, "Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way, prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight." So. John served that purpose. He was the voice in the wilderness telling the people, get ready for this coming Messiah. Get ready for the one who was promised in the Old Testament. Get ready for the one who would be the better king, the better, uh, the better prophet, the better priest. And he's prepared this and he's ministered and he actually baptizes Jesus. Right? God himself gets baptized. But he does so as a way of expressing obedience to to God, not as a way of repenting of his own sin, but as, as a way of showing his obedience to God. And so John baptizes Jesus, and then later on, John is incarcerated. He's, he's arrested, and later we find out that he's actually killed. And it's after that, after that moment of preparation, after the last prophet of the Old Testament period has done his job, that Jesus comes. And it's significant that Mark tells us this, that he says... Now, after John was arrested, he, he, he's not just being chronological. He's not just saying this happened and then this happened and then this happened. But, but John's ministry was preparatory. And for better or worse, his arrest and that preparatory ministry. And so at that point, it was, it was time. It was time for Jesus to begin his ministry. So it says in verse 14, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, gospel is one of those words that, that if you've been around church for a long time, it, it can begin to lose meaning. And so it's important to kind of return to what we think that, that means. And in the Greek, it's euangelion, or uh, that's where we get the word uh, evangelistic or evangelism. But it's this idea of good news that a victor or a messenger from a victorious army king would send and they would send of good news they would herald good news they would preach good news and and at first it was it was it was about the treasures of 
the good news, and then it just became the good news itself. And, and when Jesus comes on the scene, it's understood to be this good news that God has prepared and he's planned something to happen. And in Isaiah, we see God talking about the good news. Blessed are the feet of those who bring what good news. This is good news that Jesus begins to preach. He begins to speak about how he is the culmination of something that has been prepared for long, long before he he became man. Good news. It's also the same word if we were to go back to verse 1 where where Mark introduces his gospel message. He says this, In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In the beginning of the good news from Jesus Christ and about Jesus Christ. It's good news. And then he says, uh, proclaiming the good news, what, of, of God. Um, and, and so in, in the original language, it's, it's a little ambiguous what he means when he says of God. In, in English, if we were to do this more specifically, we might say that this is the good news that comes from God. And that'd be one way to translate this. Or this is the good news that is about God. And so one is subjective and the other is objective, where, where God is the subject of the good news or God is the, the object of the good news. But here we see that, that perhaps this is, this is ambiguous because it is the good news from God, but it is also the good news about God. This is good news, family, because it comes from God. And it's good news, family, because it's about God's intervention for our sake. Jesus begins to preach this good news from and about God. So what does he begin to preach? What is, okay, what is this good news? Look at verse 15 with me. He began to preach, proclaiming the, the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe. Now, sometimes, especially if you've grown up in, in church, you think of the gospel as Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I have forgiveness of my sins. And that's kind of, that's where it terminates, right? I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I don't, you know, I don't want to experience punishment. I want to experience blessing. And Jesus is the means by which to get that. And, and there's truth in that. I'm not saying that that's not truth, but, but it is reductionary or reductionistic. It, it reduces the gospel to less than what it actually is. And, and here we see Jesus is saying something far greater is happening in this gospel message. He says in verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What does he mean when he says the time is fulfilled? The time is, we don't talk like that. The time is fulfilled, let us go to church. No, we don't. It's, he isn't just saying it's time. Right? He isn't just saying, well, it's 4.30, it's time to go. You know, it's 12 o'clock, the time it has come for us to have lunch. No, there's something, there, there's something about time where, where they were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and it was now. Now, in our small groups, we've been going through a book by a guy named N.T. Wright, and he talks about, in, specifically about the Gospels, saying that one of the things that Jesus does one of the things we see in his ministry is that he introduces the, quote, now time. That, that is, it is now. No longer do we need to look to the future. No longer do we need to consider the past. We need to now look at what's happening 
now. And Jesus was saying, I understand that you have been waiting for someone to bring about salvation. I understand that you've been waiting for someone to, to take away your sins. I understand uh, Jew, the, the Jewish people, they were waiting for someone to, to free them from, from oppression from the Roman government. He, he understood that they were waiting for a savior. They were waiting for a king. They were waiting for someone to speak on behalf of God in a way that would be transformative and changing. They were waiting for a priest who could be a better priest who could do a better job than the priest who had to constantly make sacrifices that would never ultimately stick. They were waiting. And Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. And in in Galatians chapter 4, Paul reflects back on this and he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. So for Paul, he's looking and he's saying, "There there was a maturation happening. If, if time was an apple, it was now ready to be picked, ready to be enjoyed, ready to be received, ready to be partaken of. The time had come. Theologians call this an eschatological reality. Eschatology has to do with the end. But we're not talking, I'm not talking about like dragons and, and revelation and, and crazy. I'm talking about this idea that that we have entered into the final stages of God's redemptive plan. You know, if we were to go to, to if we were to go through the Bible, we could we could divide it up into a number of different sections. You have creation, which is basically chapters one and two of the Bible, pretty quick. The fall, chapter three, and then following that, you have God's redemptive purposes happening. His, his plan and his promises, Abraham, I'm going to make you a, a nation and I'm going to bless families through you. I'm going to bless nations through you, right? Moses, I'm, I'm going to be, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to covenant with you and I'm going to be present with you. David, I'm going to be your king. There's going to be a king who comes after you. You know, we see with the judges, God is trying to bring about his rule, but the judges fail. We see with the kings that God is trying, about, trying to bring about his, his justice and his rule, but the 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 the, the kings fail. We see with the prophetic books, God is trying to bring about righteousness, but the people continue to disobey, and the prophets don't do, can't do much except for uh, indict them for their sin, call them out on their sin, warn them of the, the curses that come as a result of their de- disobedience, and the, and the promises and the blessings that come as a result of their obedience. All this preparatory, redemptive work is happening, and it is now fulfilled. Jesus comes and the time is now. The promises of the Old Testament that God would provide a king and a prophet, that he'd provide a better priest, was now. And what does he say? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, if you were to read the um, Christian Standard Bible, which it's a good version, Pastor Jermaine likes it a lot, um, and I'm not poking fun. He likes that one. It would say that the, the kingdom of God are, is, is at hand, it's near. Because the word there, it can mean either it's here or it's near. And again, there's ambiguity here because there's a tension that we see in Jesus Christ. So he basically is saying, uh, we're not looking at a specific time and date, but we're looking at a specific presence. Jesus has come and where Jesus is, the kingdom of God is at hand. Where Jesus is, the kingdom is there. You know, when, when we had the astronauts on the moon, 
when we put our flag down, we were claiming it, right? The, fl- the moon is now ours. Jesus' ownership is a lot more valid than I would say our, our flag is, but, but you get the picture. The kingdom of God is at hand because who has come? The king! Right? If the president were to walk into this room and set aside your opinions of the president, the, the proper response ought to be respect for the position, regardless of what you think about the person. You know, think of your favorite president. When they walk in, you honor and respect the, the president because the authority of the president is with the president. And the kingdom is the place where God exercises his authority. The king exercises his authority. And so we see that the kingdom of, uh, of God was at hand because the king was at hand. Whereas before we were waiting, where's the king? Are you going to establish the kingdom? Are you going to establish the kingdom? And this is why, this is why the, the disciples got it so confused because they were looking for structures. They were looking for government. They were looking for tanks. You know, Jesus, okay, when are you going to establish the kingdom? When are you going to make these things right? When are you going to move around the people? And they didn't understand that all of that was secondary to the fact that the king was present. The king is here. There's a tension between the present and future kingdom. All of this speaks to this reality that we have now entered into, that you and I are part of. We are living in an in-between time. We are presently living in an in-between time. An in-between time that was introduced by Jesus. The kingdom is at hand, and yet it's also drawing near. Right? He, he says that, that the good news about God is, is here, and the time is fulfilled, and yet God hasn't completed all of his redemptive works. He's begun the clock on redemption, and Jesus has done the, the definitive work, but to see the, the outworking of that is it's yet to happen. And so we live in this time where, where the kingdom is, is already here and we're already experiencing the benefits of it, and yet we still are, are waiting to see the full benefits of it. If we were to keep reading in chapter 1 of Mark, we would see that Jesus calls his first disciples, then he heals a man with an unclean spirit, and then he immediately, it says in verse 29, he left the synagogue, entered the house of Simon and Andrew and, with James, um, and heals the mother... And then uh, that evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases. This is kingdom life. Jesus was expressing the reality of the new kingdom where God was, was re-undoing the things that were, were undone by sin. Right Prior to the fall, when, when Adam and Eve were together, there was no death, there was no a disease, there was no sickness. They, they sin, and then there's brokenness, there's heartbreak, there's death, there's disease. And so when Jesus comes to establish a renewed kingdom, one of the first things he begins to do is to heal the sick. And Matthew reflects on this more specifically in his, or maybe it's Luke, I think it's Luke, sorry guys. Bear with me a second. Exactly. Yes, so in, in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16, we hear Jesus begin to talk about how he's, he's doing some things that, 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 give, that point to the fact that the kingdom is now here. It says in verse 16, He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and 
As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up and read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, what? To proclaim the good news to the poor. Proclaim the good news to the poor. To proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you... Do you hear the reversal that's happening? Those who are blind are given sight. Those who are poor are are being provided for. Those who are oppressed are no longer being oppressed. God is doing something to reverse what was done in the fall. He is establishing his kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so Jesus calls us to respond in, in the second part of verse 15. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent is one of those words that I think is, is very quickly going out of vogue. And, and when I was growing up, I, I thought it was a no-no word then. But in our culture, to think that you have to change your mind, that, that's like the ultimate sin. You mean, you're telling me that I, I'm, I'm not wrong. There's no right or wrong, and I'm right. Note the, the lack of sense in that statement. There's no wrong or right, and I'm right. <laughs> but he says, no, you have to repent. You know, I was, I, was, I was thinking about this as my mind wandered. I was like, why, does he call, why doesn't he just say believe? Why doesn't he just say believe in me? Because repentance is more than just kind of, well, I'm going to, you know, faith is more than just believing something. Like, oh, you know, I believe that the sky is blue. It's, it's believing in such a way that it affects your behavior. And you can't believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you have other lords and saviors. You can't believe that Jesus is king if, if Eddie is still king, if self is still king, if, if your job is still king, if your relationship is still king, if pleasure is still king. He says, repent. Repent. Turn away from this. Yes, it is a change of mind. If you look in the Greek, it's, it's a change of mind. Absolutely, it's a change of mind. But it's a change of mind that results in a change of action and behavior. Right? You start to vote differently. You start to, you start to live differently. You, you speak differently. You, talk, you drive differently. Right? You realize that there's a Lord of the world and it's not you, so you shouldn't um, fuss at the driver in front of you. You realize that, that you are no longer God. You are no longer Lord. And so you, you can't necessarily get so angry when people don't do what you want because it's not your will be done. And, and I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> this is why, this is why uh, Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, said that the, the life of a believer is a life of repentance. Because this is, this is not a one-time deal. Now, there is a one-time grand change that we make, but... It is followed by additional changes. He says, repent. And then he says, believe in the gospel. That word there is to have faith in, to believe in the gospel. And again, this is not just mental assent. This is not just learning facts that live up here and have no impact on your life. Right? You may know the speed of, of, of sound and how far we are away from the, the moon. We're talking about the moon a lot in this sermon. But, but that doesn't necessarily have any, really, any bearing in your life. 
But if you know that, that the stove is hot, you don't touch the stove, right? Because it's hot. You're like, oh, that'll burn you. Right? That's, that's, that's belief. That's faith. If I, there's no chairs up here. But if I were to sit down in a chair, I'm having some faith that that chair is going to hold me and keep me up. And that faith is allowing me to do something that otherwise would be very precarious, right? If you're listening, I'm, I'm trying to sit in a chair that isn't there. And that's not a good idea because there's no faith in a thing that doesn't exist. He says, change your mind and believe. Now, this word believe uh, in the gospel, it's, again, it's the same word he says in verse 1. It's the same word he says in verse 14. This is the good news. We're not just believing in... F- Sometimes when you hear people talk about faith, they just talk about faith in faith. You've got to have faith, to quote an 80s musician who will go unnamed. Hey, faith in What? Well, just, you know, faith. You just got to believe in something. No, no. We call that insanity. If, if, if you have a conversation with someone and they're like, you know, I, I've got faith. You know, I, I really have, I've got faith that drives me. You're like, okay, cool. That's awesome. What, what's your faith in? Unicorns. I love unicorns. Drives me every day. What? You know, I just think about them. I dream about them. I talk about them. I write about them. I've got pictures of them. And it, it really propels me forward in my life. You would rightly think that person's you know, missing a few gears because they have faith in something that's, that's non-existent. I'm sorry if you believe in unicorns, they don't exist. Um, it got real quiet. <laughs> I'm so sorry. The unicorn lobby's present. Anyways. Um, faith is not just believing for the sake of believing. And this is why it's so important, and I'm so excited for Advent, because we believe in a God who has entered into history. We don't just believe in some sort of ethereal non-reality that you can't prove. Now, there are people who would, would want to say, oh, you can't prove such and such, but, but Jesus was a real person. I mean, he's a real guy. He's not just some sort of guy that, you know, the Illuminati made up. As much as, as Dan Brown would want you to think that, that's not good scholarship, and any, any, if you were to go to any university that doesn't have a religious um, dog in the fight, if they're not trying to have a religious bent, they will acknowledge that the Bible presents legitimate historical accounts of reality. And Jesus is a real person who lived a real life. And these people witnessed to his resurrection. You may not think resurrection is possible, but people believed that it happened. And so you, ha- you have to reckon with what they were saying. C.S. Lewis talked about it and he said, either he's a liar, talking about Jesus, he's a lunatic or he's a Lord. And you can apply that to those who speak about Jesus. Either they're lying or they're crazy or they're telling the truth. Those are your options. And you, if you talk to someone and they are otherwise cogent, they don't seem like a liar, they don't seem crazy, then maybe what they're saying is actually true. He says, believe in the gospel. And this is good news. Again, this is not good fantasy, good mythology, good ideas of how to live life. Right? We are not primarily focused on, you and I are not primarily, if we are Christians, focused on an ethical standard. As much as we ought to live a particular way and, and be moralistic and righteous, that is not where we start. We don't start with how we ought to live. We start with what God has done. 
And here in Mark, we see God saying, I am about to, and I have done something. The time has come. Jesus enters into our reality. John says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word took on human flesh and dwelt among us. God went from being out there, being transcendent, to being imminent, to being incarnate, to being present, more present than he had been in the past. The kingdom has come. Repent and believe in this gospel. Now, Jesus was speaking to people 2,000 years ago. What does it have to do with you and me? Well, the reality is, Jesus has ushered in the time of fulfillment, right? To quote Mark, right? To use that kind of clunky language. The time is now. It's now time. We, we haven't moved into another period of time. When, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 and, and Jesus ascended and then the Holy Spirit came, th- that wasn't a new moment where new things were happening in the sense that, that there was additional uh, redemptive work that had to be done on top of Jesus. No, Jesus has established the kingdom. He has inaugurated the kingdom and now the kingdom is going out like yeast and it's, it's leavening the loaf. For those of us, we don't bake, so I mean, some of you bake, and thank you for that. Um, but for those of us who don't, it, it's going out and it's spreading. The gospel is spreading. The good news is spreading. And, and as such, the kingdom is spreading. And we live in the same time that Jesus lived in, in the sense that the time is now. And he still calls us to repent and believe. Family, if you are a believer in Christ, he still calls you every day to repent, to turn from your sinful ways and believe. And if you're in this room and you don't have a personal relationship with God, he offers his love to you, but he says you must repent and believe in the gospel. Not in your own ability to save yourself, not in your own ability to figure out life, but in God who does it for you. To turn away from everything that you know to be sin, to turn away from everything that you know to be your dependency, you know, I think sometimes we, we, again, we miss it when we just reduce our faith to, well, I'm going to turn away from my sin, I'm going to turn to Jesus. Yes, absolutely that. But you have to turn away from your sin and the things that you worship, which is also sin, but the things that you worship that aren't God in order to turn away, turn to God. Who are you worshiping today? Whose kingdom are you seeing established? Are you still trying to say, this is my kingdom? Right? Are you still trying to secede from the kingdom of God and be like, no, 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 you can't come over here. This is my kingdom. Because Jesus is here. We're going to celebrate Advent over the next four weeks, and, and that's exactly what it is, the coming of Jesus. We celebrate the coming of Jesus. The fact that God became a man, took on human flesh, didn't... didn't drop off his, his God nature. This is, he's called the God-man because he's fully God and fully human in one person. And he, he lives a perfect life, a completely obedient life to, to the word of God, obedient to all the commands of God, where you and I have failed on multiple accounts. We will today and we will continue to do so until our death. And he, he died on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice for us 
so that anyone who repents, turns away, and trusts in him will have eternal life. As we saw earlier today, they, they, will be, they will die with Christ and they'll be raised with Christ. This is the promise that's available to any of us who, who want, want to do this. And, it, and it's not a one-two punch as a side note. It's not repent and then believe. There's something about the repenting that brings the other punch. There's something about the believing that brings you to repentance. Family, repent and believe because the kingdom is here and Jesus has come. 